0: Death has become a part of our everyday lives. COVID-19 and its spread have brought home to us the undeniable reality that we are mortal beings and our accumulation of wealth, prestige and power will come to an end. How we think about death impacts on how we think about life. So how should death be conceptualised? How should we really remember death beyond the occasional thought about it? How do we make death our partner's and our guide in conditioning our present. To truly understand this idea, I have invited Kamal Abu Zahra, a lecturer in Islamic studies currently completing his PhD, looking at minority fiqh and its compatibility with classical notions of scholarship. I asked Kamal some searching questions about death and how we should see it, how we should confront its claims upon us, and how we should address it when death falls on someone close to us. Kamala Abu Zahra, salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, and, and welcome to the Thinking Muslim podcast. Wa alaykum wa wa barakatuh. Now Kamal, we're speaking at a time of COVID-19, and uh, we're in different places, and uh, we're in uh, what they call a lockdown, or it seems like a semi-lockdown here in the UK. Uh, we can't visit one another, we can't uh, visit our family if they don't live with us, um, and so Uh, We're hearing cases, of course, all the time from family and from friends that uh, people are dying and uh, excess mortality uh, is at an all-time high. Uh, Death is all around us and we worry about death. And so in that context, I would like to ask you what seems like an obvious question, Kamal. What is death? How do we conceptualise death? How do we understand the notion of death in Islamic terms?
1: a very good question, um, and it's a question I think. Um, although you and me are are distant, uh, we're united, and only us and the whole of humanity is united on this question, uh, or the prospect of death. Uh, normally, when we talk about this uh, subject, we have to um, implore on people the inevitability of death, that it's something that can strike anyone. Um, and that, uh, you know, it's not something we can escape from or push under the carpet. But uh, it is something that we all now uh, thinking about, whether we are Muslim, non-Muslim, whether we are rich or poor, prince or pauper, wherever we are, uh, whatever our position in society, uh, it, it is uh, touching us in some shape or form. And so, it you has know, so given that context, it's uh, good to actually think about the idea itself from an Islamic perspective. Uh, And this perspective, uh, although I say Islamic, is not just for Muslims, because um, death does not strike only a Muslim, but it strikes the whole, uh, it strikes humanity. So, you know, so we can, this is a universal sort of uh, point, if you like, uh, that uh, about death and uh, what it's about. I mean, first of all, although it's obvious, it doesn't need to be stated that death uh, is uh, an inevitability. Uh, you wouldn't think so by the way we live, unfortunately, that it is inevitability. Uh, you know, in the Quran, Allah taala calls death yaqeen, which is a certainty. Yeah, that it is, uh, in other words, it is something that inescapable, it is yaqeen, it is certain. Uh, the Quran says that worship Allah until yaqeen comes to you, meaning until death comes to you. So, uh, so it is inevitable. It is you know no one is spared by this. Uh, even Rasulullah he was told, wa Indeed, uh, you, O oh Messenger of Allah, you shall die. Wa uh, innahum and so shall they. Uh, no one is spared. Uh, from death, kullu nafsin the Every soul shall taste death. So that's the first point. Uh, although it, as I said, seems obvious, uh, but uh, it does need to be stated because people are in the ghafla, uh, you know, um, in heedless about this because they are distracted by the here and now and not by that which is uh, down the road, uh, whether sooner or later. Uh, that's the first point, I would say. Um, the second point is, death is normally seen as the cutting or the end point uh, of something. Now, from the Islamic tradition, it is the end point of all laddhat. That's correct. Uh, laddhat meaning enjoyment and pleasures. The Prophet ﷺ said, hazim He said, remember often the destroyer of the pleasures. So this dunya and all the pleasures that we uh, enjoy, will come abruptly to an end when death approaches us. Uh, But death, in fact, uh, is is a journey for us, you know, and in fact, we are already um, midway through that journey. So people say knocking on death's door uh, as if we're knocking on it for the first time. Actually, we've knocked on it even before. Um, So in the Quran, you know, you find ayat which describe there's more than one death. Uh, so, for example, in Surah Al Ghafir, uh, uh, the people who were iniquitous in the dunya, who were sinful, they will say, Rabbana, amatana thnatain wa or, or, Lord, amatana you made us to die twice. Wa and you gave us life twice. Subhanallah. It is not once. Because the first death was before we existed, and then Allah gave us life. So we're already in this, so we've gone halfway already in this journey. And then, uh, you know, and you gave us life twice. So which is the life uh, when we did not exist, this, this life, and then you have death, and then you have life again, which is the Ba'ath and the resurrection. So death, life, death, and then life. So here you can see, the the issue is not actually the middle of the journey. The most important thing is not the middle of the journey. Our eye should not be on the middle of the journey, but the end of the journey. That's why in the ayah, you know, they will say, These will be the people who end who are at the end of the journey on Yomul qiyamah they will be making this dua. So they've passed through all the phases of death life death and now they're alive again and before allah SWT, and they will say Fa'atarafna we recognize and we confess to all our sins Fahal min is there a way out from this subhanallah um, this is the journey's end there is no way out you have to face allah and you have to face judgment so so this is i would say this is the second point um, to understand that uh, it is a journey and we're all on this journey and sometimes we get engrossed by this particular uh, junction, if you like, on the journey, uh, which is that, uh, you know, from this life when we die, the the real um, goal really or the concern for us should be that we're going to be raised again after this death and we will be before Allah SWT at the journey's end and what do I say then? So how do I live my life now? And how do I face Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How do I meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And that should be you know, the real focus.
0: Kamal, I want to understand the journey uh, of death as well as how we uh, appropriately prepare and conceptualize uh, death in, in all of its forms, whether it's our death or the death of those who are close to us. Uh, but I want to first start with the question of preparation, um, and that's a very personal question. Now, if you remember back, and it seems many years ago, but it's only been a month when uh, the lockdown was announced, and um, we had a, uh, you know, the lockdown was going to was going to happen imminently, and uh, within hours, the the shelves were empty in the supermarkets, and people were preparing for this lockdown because the inevitability. Of what they saw as a as a lockdown was now, even though we we knew it was coming for days and possibly even weeks, but but it was when that announcement was made that we responded in a in a, a particular way and maybe in an irrational way, and I think death is very much like that, Kamal. I mean, we we know it's going to happen. You've you've said that it's an inevitability that uh, death is coming, and that's uh, uh, intrinsic. That's part of this journey of death. Yet our preparation seems to be quite light uh, at this stage. Um, so I want to understand our, how we should prepare, and at what stage should we be thinking about death as a as as if we were as if the lockdown was announced, and and we now are hurrying to prepare for the next few weeks, and months, and, and years ahead. Yes.
1: I mean, it's all to do with how, it's perception and how you view life and how you view your journey in life towards uh, death door, if you like. Yeah, And so um, if you uh, view this as, oh, it's a very long journey. So Mem Ghazali in his book, Kitab Zikr al-Maut, uh, you know, the book on remembrance of death, he talks about those people have long hopes, amal, yeah? So they will have long life, and so if you have a if you have this conception about life that I'm going to be here uh, for many many years, I'll have a long life, and and you and, and you keep yourself distracted by uh, the here and the now, then uh, the, 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 that inevitability doesn't seem so inevitable, and it's not at the forefront of your mind; it is at the back of your mind, uh, and and that's why Prophet um, he asks us to prepare for death because the intelligent one prepares for the inevitable, uh, and the person who's not intelligent uh, or doesn't really think deeply about these things will just keep putting it off until you know um, uh, Malakul Maut, Azrael, uh, you know, uh, is uh, approaches him, and, and then he suddenly looks uh, to start preparing. So the intelligent one prepares before. Prophet Sallallahu in, in one hadith, he said, dunya فِي الدنيا, uh, like a, He said, be in the dunya as if you are a stranger, is al-sabil' or a wayfarer, i.e. a traveller. In other words, um, you know, this dunya is fleeting and you're going to depart from it. And it's a testing ground. Uh, and there's an end to the test. And at the end of the test, there will be death, and then there will be resurrection, and then there will be a qiyama and judgment. So treat it like this. Well, the problem is, you know, um, we're not looking at the uh, goal or the the destination. We just uh, get become consumed by uh, the here and the now and the immediate journey that we're in. So it's like if someone wants to go to, um, you know, you're in Luton, yeah, I'm in London, so I want to go to Luton. That's my goal. But then I set off on the journey. And then as I'm driving, I just see something uh, uh, on the way, on the road. Uh, I see, oh, that's interesting. And I start setting up tent there and I get distracted. Uh, and, and so this is the problem that we've, um, uh, this journey has become uh, our life. As in, uh, it's become the, as if it's the permanent station or position for us. And so so this is the first point I would say in terms of, um, uh, you know, the, our attitude towards um, life itself. Um, preparation, another thing the Prophet ﷺ, he encouraged um, us is that, look, remember death. Because if you remember death, then, and you reflect on it, then uh, you will heed, uh, you know, that which is coming and you will heed its lessons. Um, so hence the Prophet he encouraged us, you know, to go to the kubur, uh, yeah, to, to visit the graves. He, he said, Visit the graves, for indeed it will remind you of death. Um, reflect on the death. When someone dies, you know, for us we say, Inna lillah, That's reflection. To Allah we belong and to him we shall return. So we reflect on someone's passing. So it's not just our sad news, of course it's sad but something deeper ha- is happening here than uh, you know the, the, just seeing a sad news of someone's death which is that actually we you know, he has gone to Allah, we will also join him, uh, you know, when we go and make ziyarah, we say As-salamu alaykum, Ahl yeah, peace on you, the inhabitants of earth, sorry, inhabitants uh, of the grave, you know, when uh, and we are lahikun and we're going to join you you know so you're not just the inhabitants of the graves you know uh we shall be also so uh, you know so remember we prepare for death by reflecting on the meaning of death what does it mean for us as individuals in our lives uh, and uh, and and also uh, taking preparation for it and this is important especially for the youth you know um Uh, Initially, you know, when this COVID-19 situation arose, they said, Oh, just uh, the elderly people or those with underlying conditions, the vulnerable. And then suddenly you hear And so the youth, you know, um, in certain countries, they were on the beaches uh, because they felt, Oh, it's just uh, uh, for for the old people. It doesn't affect us. And then you start to hear young people on ventilators, uh, you know, with no underlying conditions. And that's when, you know, people realize, okay, this can happen to me. And the Prophet hey, you know, he encouraged the youth. He said, mm-hmm. in, the, in the previous hadith, he said, um, uh, you know, benefit from, uh, you know, five sins uh, before five. You know, your youth before you become old and weak. and your, you know, good health before you fall ill. So it's a question of, Understanding that whatever we have, whether it's our youth, uh, you know, our, our, our well-being, health, uh, money, rich, whatever it is, wealth, all of these things can disappear at the blink of an eye. An intelligent person who understands that and also a person who actually reflects on that. This is the thing. You can know that, could be in your back of your mind, and then then you can live in a certain way. Or well, you can reflect on that and recognize that. Uh, and, and, and that will actually affect the way you live your life.
0: But it's often the case, Kamal, that our lives are fraught with uh, complexities. We, we live in very fast-paced societies and we're constantly going from uh, occasion to occasion. And reflection is really a minor part of our day, if it is a part of our day. So how do we build into our thinking, our psyche, this sense of reflection? You see, no matter how busy we
1: are, the fact that you know death occurs, uh, you know uh, this occurrence of death. Uh, now we hear, obviously, it's a global phenomenon, and then we're all feeling it. But it's not, it happens to us when uh, a loved one passes away, or we hear the death of somebody or a friend is very unwell. It's at those times that we need to hit the pause button. We need to hit the pause button. And to think about uh, you know uh, what is happening here, you know, and when we go to the grave, so when we you know attend the janaza, this is not just uh, you know for the mayyid. It's not just for the. Uh, it's not just for us to do to the janaza and make dua for the mayyid. This is for ourselves. The Prophet said, "Fazuruha." Go visit. So it's really you know um, take you know pour, pausing. Yeah, uh, to to think and to reflect and taking that time out, uh, and and this is where we need to um, also um, uh, remind each other, uh, you know, uh, of uh, in, of the deen, our responsibility our duty to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, uh, and you know when and when people pass away, even by the reminder, you will see, we don't just say I'm sorry to hear the sad news, although we are sorry, and we pay our condolences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it is a source of regret, but even when you know we, we console someone, you see we get to the heart of what death is about and how it should affect us. Mm-hmm. So we will say, Inna Lillahi wa Inna lirajirun. That's like our immediate reaction when we hear someone dying. We shouldn't just say it. We need to just stop for a second and think. What did I just say when I said Inna Lillah? Said In. This is from my ayah in Surah Baqarah. Allah says. Uh, إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ قَالُوا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا رَاجُعُونَ That when they are if hit by a calamity or a musibah, uh, they say, Inna we all belong to Allah and to Him we shall return. That this person has gone, I'm next. This person has gone to Allah, I'm, I'm next. I, I, I'm on the inevitable journey and I'm going to meet Allah ta'ala as well. And so, you know, it put things in, uh, you know, when you think like this and you reflect, it puts things into perspective and this is what we need, perspective.
0: When we uh, read about death, when we read the Quran and we read the various hadith about death and we read books like Imam Ghazali's book that you quoted there, uh, we often feel a sense of dread and fear about death and about uh, the the different stages uh, we go through at the point of dying and beyond dying, um, and and suppose my question really is that should we fear death and should we fear the prospect of dying?
1: Fear itself, um, to fear the sakaratul maut, uh, the experience you know, when someone dies, uh, it could you know it could be difficult. It, it is difficult or more difficult for for some people than others, or at least visually when we look at that person. And also from our tradition, we know that the sinful one uh, uh, for the person, his sakarat, can be more difficult, the pangs of death. So, uh, you know, and the fact that, you know, what have we done? How do we face Allah subhanahu wa Taala uh, in our lives? So all these things uh, can cause fear, and uh, fear in that sense is, is actually natural. You know, I don't think it's an unnatural thing. It is, is part of our, uh, you know, this need for survival as human beings. You know, but the issue is, you know, this fear. Uh, you know, is it productive, or is it destructive? This is the issue.
0: Just like you know, we say ittaqullah Because because it could it it could cause a, a an yeah. anxiety and 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 a right. So you're saying that we need to direct this fear in a. In a productive direction. Yes. I mean, you can fear Allah. When Allah, says, it Allah
1: fear says, You can fear Allah so much to the extent you think, Oh, you know, um, I am doomed. I'm going to go to Jahannam. Nothing I do will, will make Nothing a difference. Nothing I do will make yeah. a difference because of the sins of the, the community. No. So that's why they say fear, khawf, uh, must also go with hope in Allah SWT. Yeah, So the, these two things to, to, go, to go together. So here... The, the fear, you know, has to be productive. Otherwise, uh, you know, fear can make you draw closer to Allah وسلم, or fear can make you actually distant from Allah Wa It can have both effects uh, depending on how uh, we experience this fear and, and how we channel the fear. Um, there is one hadith um, instructive on this issue where Rasul, Rasulullah you know, he said man habba liqa Allah uhabb Allah liqa'ahu he said the one who loves to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, Allah loves to meet him Woman kariha liqa Allah kariha you know and the one who hates to meet uh Allah Allah hates to meet him now you know when you think about it, you think you know from this sort of negative uh, uh sort of conception of you know this fear yeah or Channeling of fear, you might think, Well, uh, okay, um, but I feel fear, yeah. So, how can I, uh, you know, how do I understand what so I'm saying this saying here in this hadith? Um, the companions had the same question, they said, Yeah, Nabi Allah, he said, You know, we all fear death, you know, so how can this be? That um, you know, the one who loves to me Allah, how can we love to me Allah, but at the same time we fear death? How do we reconcile these two things? The Prophet reconciled it for them. He said, He said, Look, for the believer, you see, because the believer has a different perspective, uh, a perspective of Iman on this issue. Yeah, from so the believer when he's giving good news of the mercy uh, of Allah, the good pleasure of Allah, and the Jannah of Allah, he loves to meet Allah So and and Allah loves to meet him. So in other words, he's not what he's looking at uh, when he looks at meeting Allah is that, look, we love Allah Uh, we want his Rahma, we want his good pleasure, we want his Jannah, that this is the thing that we seek. And so, therefore, we love to meet Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And in terms of our deficiencies and, and 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 failings and shortcomings, so this should encourage us not to increase in our deficiencies or give up, but actually to deal with our deficiencies, and 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 to seek to be better and seek uh, to achieve Allah's Rahmah, His Ridwan, and His Jannah. So it's it's a question of uh, perception really, and 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 uh, uh, so you can fear Allah. And you can be distant from Allah or you can fear Allah and seek his reward and seek his rahmah and you'll find yourself drawing closer to Allah.
0: And how does Islam tell us to deal with the grieving process once someone passes away? I mean, the the Mm. English have a saying uh, that uh, you should have a stiff upper lip. You should show some uh, restraint when it comes to emotional situations. And um, uh, often it's a case that uh, even with Muslim funerals, uh, Muslims are told to have some sabr or some restraint, and I suppose sabr is used synonymously with the idea of yes. not overtly yes. showing emotions uh, and and not crying. Uh, and um, you know, I've I've experienced it myself at a at a funeral of a close relative. Someone was uh, inconsolable and was crying, and another relative said to them, "You know, show some respect yes. for the dead." And so, so you know, it's it's. Um, it's a confusing time and and um uh is crying Kamal a sign that you don't yes. have subber and you uh, all of those concepts and those ideas that you stress we should have that somehow crying uh belittles those ideas and and uh, undermines them so how should we view uh grieving and and crying and showing remorse and and showing loss for the person that has passed away. If we look, at, start
1: with the example you gave of how people, uh, or you know, this concept of stiff upper lip. Yeah, because I think the concern there is people think, oh, shouldn't show weakness? That shows it's a sign of weakness. And and so therefore, you know, um, uh, control yourself and then show you are strong. Yeah.
0: But also, I think they they think that it's a sign uh, that you're not um, worshiping Allah correctly, right? Uh, I mean,
1: uh, in, in uh, it could be. I mean, you're talking about the from a Western perspective, or
0: well, well. So from from our from perspective, uh, if you show from our perspective, sadness, yes, yeah, of
1: course, yeah. So there's two things. So when I say stiff upper lip, is a very English concept. Mm. So I was just speaking yeah. about it from that. Okay. Uh, okay. But, uh, but in terms of us, um, uh, you know, uh, if you cry, so that's right that you don't have um, tawakkul on Allah or, you know, showing that you don't have patience uh, in, in Allah and reliance on Allah and so therefore you're crying. Uh, the, the issue of patience uh, really is, is to exhibit um, in your behavior that you've accepted Allah's decree and decision. Uh, and that you are seeking Allah's reward, so you don't. So, so, so it doesn't mean you don't cry or you don't weep. You know, weeping is a sign of rahma and, and and love and compassion for the person who has passed away. You know, the Prophet sallallahu he wept. Uh, you know, for his son Ibrahim. You know, and when he uh, when, when he was weeping, one of the companions said, "Ya Rasulullah, and you are crying." The reason they said you are crying because Rasulullah forbade niyaha, which is wailing, yeah, uh, where people beat their chest and scream, and 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 and, and this, you know, is not compatible or, or, or it contradicts uh, the tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa Taala. Yeah, to cry and scream and and and, and not have composure. Yeah? And so Rasulullah forbade this So when they saw him weeping They said, Ya Rasulullah, you are weeping? He said, no, inna rahma It is compassion and it is mercy But the real issue of um, You know um, you know This not wailing or weeping Is, is not to show that you don't have, You do it, it's the way It is done. I'll give you one example The Prophet you know, he Was visiting the grave and he saw a lady uh, Wailing in, uh, You know, um, at the grave and so he said to her, uh, you know, uh, have patience, yeah? Uh, and he said to her, in the sabra, in the um, you know, uh, have, uh, sorry, he said to her, have patience. And she said, anni, uh, go away from me, who are you? You know, she reacted like this with the Prophet yeah, in a rude way. So she didn't know it was the Prophet And afterwards, um, when uh, she was introduced to the Prophet that this is the messenger of Allah, she apologized for the, her behavior. And the Prophet said, look, إِنَّمَا sadma ula," And this indicates the meaning of sabr. He said, indeed, sabr is in sadma ula," is at the first strike of calamity. So when you're hit with bad news, when you're hit with grief, you're hit with something, a, a misfortune, that's the point of sabr. I mean, that's the point where you control yourself in such a way that you show that you believe in Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. You have tawakkul in Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Because the way she reacted, what's wrong with you? Who are you? When Rasulullah told her to have sabr. Yeah. So, so this is the point. Sabr does not mean that we don't weep. Of course, we weep, we cry. We uh, and 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 this is uh, you know natural and and expected. And this is. Uh, showing our love and compassion uh, for our loved one but at the same time uh, you know we, we, we show that we are uh, reliant on Allah that we accept his decree and that Allah has taken that's why you know when um, you know when uh, one of the daughters of the Prophet when uh, her child passed away the Prophet said go and tell her this "Inna lillahi ma وله ما وكل شيء عنده بأجل مسامة. that indeed Allah, to Allah you know uh, goes returns whatever he has taken and uh, and he has whatever he has given and all everything will go back to him in other words it's Allah's this belongs to Allah Allah has taken it and accept that decision because everything has a uh, ajal. so فالتصبير والتحتسب so tell her to have sabr and ihtisab tahtasib and seek the reward. So this is the thing that we do sabr in a way that exhibits acceptance of the decree of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. That it shows that we are seeking the reward of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and at the same time we show compassion and love uh, for the person who has passed away. And that's how the two things are
0: reconciled. Kamal, I heard a very um, sad story on television uh, a few days back, or a a week or so back. Um, And uh, as you know, at at the moment, um, when a uh, a relative passes away in in hospital, and uh, it may be that uh, the passing takes some time, so the doctors and the clinicians Mm -hmm. realise that it's going to be, uh, this person is on a downward trajectory, and, and it's pretty clear that, there's nothing from a clinical perspective they can do for the uh, for, for person except mm. palliative care and, and to to make it as easy mm. as possible. And, and anyway, there was an exchange between a journalist and, and this nurse. And the nurse was saying, mm. look, I was the only one there. The family were not allowed in the room because, of course, of uh, contagion. And uh, so I called the family up and, mm. and asked, you know, how would this person like to die and, and what should I speak to them about? And it was about some, you know, their the love for pets or whatever it may be. Uh, but but it, it, mm-hmm. it did make me realize that for, for many of us uh, and for many people we may come across, death may not be an, a, a quick matter. It may take some time for yes. someone to pass away. But it, it, it becomes inevitable. Of course, ajal is in Allah's hands and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes it when he wants. But doctors will make a decision. And during that period... Um, sometimes we're at a loss uh, as to what we can do or say, what du'a we should read, what uh, parts of of Qur'an we should read, and how should we treat the person who's on their deathbed. Um, uh, Can you enlighten us on on whether there are any Islamic methods or Islamic ways or courses of action to take at at such a stage? Um, So the key
1: point... um... Thing at that time is, you know, to remind uh, the person who is, um, you know, going through the sakaratul Mawt on the pangs of death, um, that you know that they are on a journey and remind them of Allah Subhanahu saying comforting words, and that's why we read Surah Yasin because Surah Yasin, you know, encapsulates uh, you know Tawhid, Risala, and Yumul qiyamah so, believe in Allah taala, you know, the whole deen in, in a nutshell, really. So, uh, you, you see in Surah Yasin, discussion, uh, in, you know, the ayat about the messengers who are sent, uh, uh, the discussion about the Tawheed, and also discussion about the Ba'ath and the resurrection. Yeah. So, believe in Allah, uh, accepting that message from the messengers, and being raised yawmul qiyamah so this journey um you know we should in a comforting way remind uh you know uh, the, the the person uh, and and also give them comfort through the adaya i mean i'll give you one personal example um when my mother was much better you know in her younger years actually she said to me you know teach me a dua so uh, you know, I taught her the dua of um, uh Nabi Yunus alayhi salam. Yeah, you know where he said, "La ilaha illa anta Subhanaka inni Allah, there is no illah but You. Indeed, I have wronged myself. You know, with, you know, I'm completely reliant on You. I have nothing but You. You know, and then when she was in such a condition, you know, I I read that surah to her, and initially, uh, you know, that dua to her. She read that. Her, with me as well, uh, and then until she couldn't read, uh, and I read still read that, uh, because hoping that this will give her uh, comfort uh, and 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 ease uh, her path uh, to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So, you know, another thing we should do uh, is you know we should recite uh, the, uh, the shahada: La Ilaha Illallah muhammad Rasulullah. Uh, However, we shouldn't, uh, you know, pressurize the person. Yeah? So we should read this and, you know, be to read uh, with us, La ilaha illallah. But, you know, uh, as in when they feel comfortable and when they can, if they can't, we shouldn't force or pressurize them to do that. Uh, but, you know, we should, the sunnah is to say, La ilaha illallah, uh, recite Quran and to remind, uh, you know, um, uh, recite Quran and, and, you know, give, Comforting words and uh, and, and read to the adayya and the azkar uh, to remember Allah taala in that difficult time.
0: And how do we break the news of uh, a death to the wider community to and to the wider family?
1: Um, you see, just as um, you know, uh, receiving the news, uh, as, as you know, as the hadith says, "Inna ma in the ma That we need to have sabr at the first. Strike or even news of calamity. But um, even the person who is breaking that news uh, needs to have that sabr and that composure and that uh, sakina, if you like, uh, in in conveying that news uh, and and being patient. And I'll give you the example um, of uh, Abu Talha. uh, uh, What happened is um, his son. Um, one of his sons passed away while he was out, and his wife, um, she you know did the ghusl, did the kafan, uh, and she put him in the house. And when Abu Talha came, she could have screamed out, shouting, screaming, uh, in, in, in in a desperate way. Yeah? But she had sabr, and she did not even tell him that night. When she uh, when he asked. You know how is my son? He said, "Whoa, askanuma yakun." Uh, <laughs> Subhanallah, who askanuma yakun. You know, his uh, child is quiet and he is in peace, which is true, because he's passed away. He is in peace. And the following morning, she broke the news uh, to him uh, of the news that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has taken your son. You know, so the Prophet, you know, uh, Abu Talha. Uh, he went to the Prophet and he narrated the story, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, Rasulullah said, May Allah bless you concerning that night. So, you know, so so, it's, so how we convey has to be in a reassuring way, in a comforting way, in a consoling way, uh, and also in a way that uh, reminds people, if his sabr is the thread, that goes through all of the whole journey, if you like, the whole experience, whether the person receiving the news or giving the news. So when we give the news, remind the person to have sabr. But again, what does that mean? Meaning that, you know, the meaning of sabr or the meaning of death here, that Allah, we belong to Allah, Allah has taken uh, uh, that individual. So if, uh, uh, you know, um, we, we, we remind the person that, look, your son or your daughter or the loved one has gone, but they belong to Allah. Allah has taken what he owns, you know, and accept that decision uh, from Allah and seek his reward. And Allah will reward you for that. You know, I'll give you one example, actually, um, you know, of um, Abu Sinan. You know, he, his son uh, passed away. Uh, and Abu Talha who was there, you know, uh, he took him uh, by his hand, you know, uh, and, you know, he said to him that, look, you know, let me tell you uh, what the Prophet Sallallahu uh, said uh, in such a situation. Yeah, uh, He said, let me give you the good news or the glad tidings that Rasulullah gave. And then he quoted this hadith where the Prophet said, When a child's, when a person's child dies, Allah will say to the angels, You have taken the child of my slave. And they will say, Yes. And he Allah will say, You have taken the apple of his eye. And they will say, Yes. And he Allah will say, What did my slave say? And they will say, He said, he praised you and said, Inna lillahi wa inna ilahi raji'un." In other words, look how he responded. He responded by accepting Allah's decision, uh, increasing in iman that actually we belong to Allah, I will return to Allah, that he is Allah's, and Allah has taken him. And so Allah ta'ala will say, Build for my slave a house in Jannah and call it the house of praise. Subhanallah, bihamdihi. So, this is, can you see how the news is broken? Uh, and and how um, you know the consolation or the comfort is given by reminding that person that we belong to Allah Taala and we should accept that decision and seek His reward.
0: Come on, it's uh, acceptance seems to be not only uh, a a virtuous thing to do and, a, and an Islamic thing to do, but also psychologists will talk about how uh, the route to mental illness for many people is non-accepting the death of a loved one especially I think they call it the, the word they call it closure ah, yes
1: that, I believe that's the term I'm not a psychologist but that seems to be
0: the term that is used that's right that's right and and you so you, you it's it's an it's open it, the book is open and you you're constantly work, thinking about what if and and you're you're not even accepting uh the person i think there are stages of grief they talk about right and i don't know six or seven stages of grief where until you reach the final end of acceptance um and you often find that some people go through periods of months if not years before they finally come to a an acceptance of a of a dying loved one and that must have a a, an amend, a, a tremendous impact upon the mind of someone and and their mental well-being
1: because they can't reconcile you know it's the inability to reconcile that situation because if you think that oh you know that person has died before um, their time you know uh, they could have got married they could have done this they could have if this is you're piling up the misery and, and and the depression and the sadness because you're looking at all the opportunities they could have had and they couldn't Now they can't have it, and now they're dead, and there's nothing after death. So, as I said, death can take you away from Allah, or death can make you draw closer to Allah. Whereas, if you think, well, Allah has fixed an ajal for all of us, you know, and Allah has decreed when we shall die, and this has been decreed even before, uh, you know, in Allah's ilim, before even we were born. So, in His knowledge, Allah knew when we will die. And, and this is fixed. Uh, and so, um, once there's a recognition of that, the, we don't lament over these things, but we accept. Uh, and, and this is where we draw the closure. And that's why we say, inna lillah. We belong to Allah. That it's not the end. That this person who has departed uh, hasn't, you know, suddenly disappeared and van- vanished into and, and and gone. But rather, they've gone to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there's a life beyond this life. And they've gone, uh, inshallah, to a, a realm, a world where Allah will forgive this person and admit him into his mercy and his Jannah and his good pleasure. So once you view it in that way, you know, you can have sakina, you can reconcile uh, and, and you can bring, uh, you know, you can have closure uh, in a way that is, uh, that is healthy and productive and actually renews your iman.
0: Now, that brings me to the topic of mourning. When we visit the family of a bereaved, and generally speaking, uh, there's a three-day bereavement period, and uh, we visit them, we remind them of uh, uh, the good that uh, the person did, and we remind them of uh, their jannah, and, uh, and we console them. But what specifically should we do during the mourning period when we encounter uh, the bereaved and the bereaved family?
1: Tazia. Or, you know, um, this is a term that we use, that when we give our condolences and then then we help the person with mourning. Um, I think it's it's worth thinking on what is the aim? Because once you know the aim, then, you know, in order to say inna lillah and the dua and then sabar, uh, there's ahadith, you know, you know what the aim is. You can uh, actually then utilize all of these things to achieve the aim. So, for example, let, let me give you a quote from Yama Shokani. He said, "Tazia." he said, what is Tazia?" He said, he said, kullu ma musab sabran. He said, it's whatever that will allow that person who's been afflicted to have patience. And, and he said, "Tazia is bi ayi kan. He, he said, but it's any expression. Yeah. yahsal bihi al uh, uh, He said, uh, it's any expression by which uh, you, you can achieve this uh, consoling uh, or the comforting or giving of solace. Uh, and let me give you another quote from um, Nawi, uh, you know, describing what ta'ziya is. He said, I'lam anna ta'ziya And you see, and then they're saying the same thing, really. He said, look, know that ta'ziya is ta'zbeer. Yeah, is actually allowing or enabling someone else to have patience. And, and and so he said is to mention uh, those words, any words really, that will console uh, the and comfort the person. Wa you that will lighten his grief, مصيبته, and that will lessen his affliction. So here you can see the Ulama, they're not being very prescriptive, although we know the prescribed du'as, yeah, that we say. Uh, and and we tell the person to have sabr, and we say inna lillah. But it's not actually going through the motions. So you know, we could actually just go for the motions and tell someone have sabr. Whereas that's not the objective. The objective, as the ulama are saying, is no. How how can I help this brother to have sabr? How can I help this sister to have sabr? What can I say to him? Because everyone's got their circumstances and and how what they you know, the relation was with the loved one and, and the family situation. How can I console, lighten, lessen the affliction? You know, what can I say? So this could be an ayah, this could be a hadith, uh, this could be an anecdote. And about the person and their life. Yeah, of course, and, 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 and in their fadail and the good thing that they did and that, look, you know, they wanted uh, certain things uh, uh, and, and subhanAllah, look, Allah gave him those things or look at the, the death you know they uh, you know uh, you know life can be a ni'mah uh, and uh, or it could be a naqmah yeah or it can be a, a curse a blessing or a curse and same with death uh, death can also be a blessing or a curse and, and the blessing could be the way allah ta'ala has taken this person uh, that you see the sakina in that person you know so um, so so the That's right. So uh, it's not actually prescriptive. It's however, whichever way we can actually give that comfort and solace.
0: Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at uh, the post-COVID-19 world. What type of world are we going to inhabit? We've looked at the economy. uh, We've looked at international relations. Uh, I would like to ask you, Kamala, about the post-COVID-19 world when it comes to our human relationships and and the society Around us now it is very clear to me that um, we've um, uh, we've destroyed this planet uh, we've consumed more than we require our gluttonous consumption has led to uh, the human mind deteriorating and all forms of psychological illnesses occurring as a result of our constant uh, requirement to devour things. Um, This gives us a pause for thought and I would like you to maybe comment on how we come out on the other side. What type of world do we feel we should inhabit when this is over?
1: Death normally makes you think from an individual perspective, from yourself um, naturally. But because it's a global phenomenon that we're facing, um, I think the reflection uh, shouldn't be uh, just on your, on ourselves only, but also uh, from a global perspective of insan humanity. You know, um, what is our condition? How are we? Uh, you know, and and it's allowing us to actually think about this for once. Everything's shut down, uh, and we can think about. You know how we've lived uh, as a society, and and, and uh, where we are going, and, and how we should move forward. And one of the things that you know strikes at me is you know and you know I mean you've talked about economics and and, and you know all the terminology and, and from a technical perspective, yeah. But for me, I, I just see it as you know the certain base qualities that we have yeah, of greed and selfishness and desire for things, yeah, and and and. It's bad. I mean, we accept these are not good traits. Uh, but the problem I find, if you look at the world, is that these traits are, you know, idealised. This is the problem. Trait alone is, is bad enough. But when you idealise it, when you glorify it, when you uh, make it a goal, when you systemize it, and you give it legal force and and, and the personalities and and... and Individuals and people um, uh, in, in power exhibit this. You see, so so when you have a system where you know it's, it's every man for himself, it's it's not survival of the fittest; it's survival of the richest. You see, so you think you know what have we done? You know, um, you know there was a uh, I heard Andrew Cuomo, uh, who's the um, governor of um, New York State. Yeah. Uh, you know, he he said um, something interesting the other day. He, he asked this question. You know, he said, why do the poorest pay the highest price? Yeah. So when you look at COVID-19 and the people suffering, uh, there is something very disproportionate about, proportional about the suffering. You know, a poor person is the same as a, you know, a rich person in terms of their genetics and, and how they are. But why is it the poor seem to suffer more? You know, is it just the way it is? It's just a fact of life? Or is it something about how we're living as a society? We're organizing our, you know, our relationships and our laws and how we live. You know, what our values are that actually lead to that outcome where, you know, there's deep inequalities in society. And, you know, and, and the vulnerable and the poor seem to suffer more. Whether it's Hurricane Katrina or it's COVID-19 or some other uh, catastrophe it always seems to be that at the front of the queue are the poor, you know, in terms of the suffering that goes out. So that's one, you know, thing I I just sort of hiss out at when I look at the world, when I think about it. Uh, And another thing I would say is that's us as insan and uh, our human nature, Uh, but also nature itself. You know, if you look at the world, subhanAllah, you know, um, you know, uh, the, the, it's like the world is breathing. When I go out, go out to the garden, I hear the birds sing, you know, and, you know, they say the air pollution has gone back, uh, you know, to, to like the 1950s. There's even anecdotal evidence that people, asthma has sort of receded or got better because, the, you know. So uh, it, it's, and but I think it's connected to the first point of consumption and greed and systemization of this consumption and greed. Where you know we we've um, we're destroying the world really uh, um you know allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, in the quran he said walayli itha ashas was subhi itha tanaffas innahu laqawlu rasulin karim you know he draws on his creation yeah that look walayli itha ashas when the night how he envelops and then he said was subhi itha tanaffas you know it, it, this situation made me think about this ayah. It said was subhi ida tanafas," and the morning you know, how it, uh, you know, the nafasa means to breathe, yeah, nafasa, to breathe. So how the morning, you know, you see the morning light as if the morning is breathing, you know, when you at dawn, when you wake up and you go out and you see this. There were parts of this world, there's countries where you didn't know if it was day or night, right? Because of the pollution, because it was so bad that you didn't know, you know, um, when was morning, no one knows. Yeah, because of the air pollution. So again, that's something to uh, I think uh, think about. That look, what are we doing in terms of our human nature, and how we're living our lives, and how, how our societies are living, and what values we have, and 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 these values, uh, what are they doing to the environment around us? Yeah. So these are just a few things I think we we can ref- re- reflect on, and in terms of a post. COVID-19 world that think well, you know um, surely there is an alternative to this this way of living and this destruction that we see.
0: Jazakallah khair, Rabbi Kamal, and uh, thank you for a really an inspirational discussion on death and the meaning of death and how we should deal with it. If any of our listeners want to read around the subject, can you recommend, I know you mentioned Al-Ghazali's book uh, on uh, definitely afterlife, but uh, do you have any other books you think uh, they will benefit from? I mean, there's another book, Kitabul.
1: I mean, there are books in Arabic, there's another book by uh, even Abi Dunya, it's called Kitabul uh, Zikr al uh with a similar title. Um, but I think Imam Ghazali's book uh, is uh, probably the best because it's available in English uh, and so in, it's accessible, you know, so I could. List and books in Arabic, but it won't be accessible to people. So that's a good starting point. Um, one point I would say, though, uh, though you know, getting to this point, oh well, in Ghazali there's ahadith which are weak, you know, and and uh, I think the way to look at it is that look, um, uh, uh, even if you can get uh, translation or you can get books where give the tahqiq yeah, of the ahadith in terms of authenticity or not. The point is, even if uh, a hadith is, is not so sound in its narration, but the meanings, see, the book is not an academic... You know, I don't think Imam Ghazali wrote the book as an academic exercise. Yeah? The point is, when you read the book, um, it's actually to to reflect on the point being made in the narration uh, and to reflect on that. And so I would actually recommend Imam Ghazali Kitab of mawt uh, from his ikhya, yeah, you know, to read it and reflect on it and uh, there's
0: much benefit in it, inshallah Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, I hope you found that useful if you've got any comments, please leave your uh, remarks on our website www.thinkingmuslim.com and uh, we're looking at Ghazali's uh, Remembrance of Death and, and the Afterlife as one of our titles this month in our Thinking Muslim book club so you can go to our website, thinkingmuslim.com and join our book club and the idea behind the club is to encourage reading. And uh, at the end of the month, we, uh, we discuss the title and, and gain from one another's uh, various experiences of uh, interaction with the book. Until next week, wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.